and we're talking Fordham men's basketball with head coach Tom Pecora. Coach, how are you today? Good, guys. How are we doing? All right? We're, yeah, we're doing, doing well, good. Uh, good to have you on. So, you know, first things first, following that tough loss at Charlotte, you know, a really good A-10 team, um, and it's another case where, you know, it was almost a little bit too late, you know, a game that you could have had. It was close late. Uh, what did you say to your guys after that game? Yeah, I, um, I told them I was tired of this. You know, it, we showed them a tape the other day, and there's basically five possessions between both the UMass and, and Charlotte game combined. That There's a difference between us being 3-0 and and 1-2 and in this league. And they have to understand how important it is to, uh, to finish plays and to close out possessions if we're going to win close games. And we've had a pretty good record winning close games over the years. But, uh, you know, those are losses that are sticking in my craw because at the end of the year you're going to see those two games and you're going to say, you know what, those are two we could have and probably should have had uh, if we were able to make a couple plays. And, you know, you can look at performances. Some guys had good games. Some guys had, you know, the UMass game, we played a very poor first half, played a very good second half. At Charlotte, a couple of the guys really struggled that we had been depending on. Ryan Canty and Chris Gaston had rough games. Brian Smith didn't have a rough game. But so what? You know, you've got to – those are opportunities for the next person to step up and show their wares, and that's where we need to be, and that's where we need to get. I mean, it's a two-point game. We have the ball with like a minute 15 left down at Charlotte, and we turn it over, foul. They had a couple three-point plays prior to that. So – We've been watching a lot of film, trying to educate them through that, simulating a lot of things in practice. But as you know, when you're in a league like the A-10, it's an unforgiving league, and boom, now we go play an 0-3 Dayton team at Dayton. And I had my first Dayton experience two years ago, my first year here. I don't know if you guys were on that trip, but it was snowing sideways. And, you know, 12,000 people in red sweatshirts showed up. So, I mean, <laughs> it's not like you're going to get uh, – you're going to walk into a place that's not going to be hostile, and you're not going to have to bring your A game. So – that's it. We continue to grow. We continue to work on those things, and hopefully, we can uh, you know continue to get better. And coach, one of the uh, the, the big storylines the other night, Chris Gatson struggled a lot. One of twelve from the field in that game. Um, have you talked to him? You know, since since the UMass game, and then after the Charlotte game, because you know those are two games where we know what he did in the first half against UMass, and then just, there was a huge problem, I think, in, in that Charlotte game. What what did you think the issue was with Chris? I just thought early on his shot selection was poor. I think it got him into a bad rhythm. I, uh, you know, when we watched tape, I showed him some of the angles he was taking, attacking the basket, and he was really burying himself to the baseline. So he didn't have any options to take the ball to the middle of the floor, and then in turn he became very predictable. And and you know you can't use the glass. And one of the things Chris does a great job of is, you know, coming in at about forty-five degree angle and get the ball on the glass, especially against bigger, longer athletes, which is what Charlotte had. Uh, and then I think it just got in his head, and he became very frustrated, you know. Uh, so I think that was part of the problem with him. His, uh, you know, his knee is not swollen. The doctors have looked at it. it. It seems to be fine. He did not practice today, though. He said it's still bothering him a bit. So we're going to probably get him looked at again, and he's going to continue to get a couple treatments each day. But there doesn't seem to be anything uh, drastic wrong with that. Uh, you know, let's hope. Uh, that that is the case. You think that could be something that's still holding him back a little bit? I don't know. It might be from the neck up. I mean, everyone seems to think it's fine, but once again, when a young man tells you about his body, you got to respect that, and you have to make sure that the, the experts look at it. I'm a coach. I'm not a doctor. I mean, I can tape an ankle from my high school days, but or a finger, but that's about it. So that's up to Dr. Zambetti and and his uh, great staff, and you know they'll continue to evaluate everything. But hopefully, that's not the case. You know, maybe we're just going through a little rough patch here and. Uh, He'll get himself right at Dayton. 
Now, Coach, despite the, the one and two record, I think we have seen a lot of improvement out of your team uh, once conference play has started. Are you satisfied with the way guys are playing right now, or, or do you think you should be 3-0? and I do believe we should be 3-0. and I think there's been some uh, disappointing play out of guys that we're depending on, you know. Uh, and once again, we don't want to get caught up in, uh, you know, we can look at the UMass game. And I was on them hard, and, and I have no trouble talking about this because, you know, with greatness comes responsibility. If, if uh, Chris Gasson and Brandon Frazier are his lone senior and junior who play a lot of minutes uh, are doing a great job, uh, I'm going to let them know about it, and, and uh, so are people on the next level. They're, you know, they'll reap the benefits of it, but there is responsibility for those two. To have a half like they had against UMass in the first half and put us in a 14-point hole, it's hard for the young guys to raise their games when they're not getting that on the court uh, leadership and experience from the veterans. So those are the two guys that I'm on the most about it, and they understand why, and they've been great about that process. Talking about uh, Brandon Frazier, Coach, um, you know, when, when Chris Gatson really was struggling in that first half, me and Alex, I think we both agreed that someone was going to have to step up. And like you said, you know, next man up and really take over this game. Because Chris Gasson, when he's on, he has that ability to take over basketball games. And I thought the next guy up was going to be Brandon Frazier to take over this game. Um, do you think he was ready to be put in a situation like that on the road, 8-10 hostile environment? Uh, and then uh, I'll get your answer for that first because there are two particular possessions I want to ask you about. But first, do you think Brandon was comfortable in a position like that? Yeah, I don't think he's uncomfortable with it. I think that he's, you know, he's still going through a process of playing with the ball in his hands and in turn uh, at times you can lose sight of uh, scoring the basketball when you do that so at different stretches of the game we did some things where we were able to bury him to the baseline and bring him off and do things that he's more natural doing having been a a scoring guard a good portion of his career but I think from a mindset Brandon these guys look up to Brandon they respect him because he's got great work habits Uh, they respect him as a teammate uh, you know, he, they know he cares about them and looks out for them. So I don't think a team, this team, I know they don't have any issues with him trying to make plays to take the game over. The key is as he matures into this uh, all-conference level player, can you make the adjustments on the fly of getting double teamed, of being the focal point of a team's defense, all of those type of things uh, that took place in, in the course of those big possessions, I think. Now, two possessions, and I just want to get a little more detailed on these ones. Um, I remember, you know, you guys were down a few, um, and he was coming back, uh, you know, on offense. And Is that he, Charlotte? Yes. Yeah. He was uh, a few feet beyond the, the three-point line, and he spotted up for that three like, like he knew it was going to, like he knew he was going to take it when he got the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. And he looked very comfortable doing it, and it was just rimmed out. Um, what were your thoughts on that possession? And then the other possession later, later on in the game yeah. where Jeff Short opened in the corner, um, and, you know, Short, clearly, I, you know, I think that he definitely wanted the shot there, and Frazier decided to take the three with the man in his face there. Right. Well, I think the first three, as with the second one, a little early in the clock, um, there's a fine line. You know, we, there's a lot of guys who can play with a green light, can't play with a yellow light. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. That's the decision that needs to be made. I love his confidence. I thought the possession you were going to talk about were down two when he gets ripped. Mm. at the end of the game. I thought right. that was the right. game changer there. Now that's just an experience. He tries to cross over in front of a good defender instead of using his size and length, which he has good size, and just and spin dribble and protect the ball throughout that possession. So those are the little things uh, that take place there. But I think Brandon knows he has to uh, make some big plays. I also, the, the one statistic, when you look at Brandon's lines, they're exceptional except his offensive field goal percentage. And it's probably because two or three shots like that per game or the difference between him shooting 6 for 12 
or six for 15. Right. And, uh, you know, I think that will come in time. But obviously there's more pressure on him to score the basketball when, when Chris is not. And, Coach, since you've moved Brandon to the, the point guard position, he's been logging a, a ton of minutes. He had 40 minutes to play the entire game against Charlotte. Meanwhile, Jermaine Myers didn't see a lot of action. Um, you know, how is he taking a reduced role on this team because he started, you know, a, a lot of the games to start the yeah. year? No, Jermaine's been great, and I have to play him more. And I told him that after the game. I had to find ways to get him in the game to give uh, Frazier blow. The one thing people, you know, the numbers w- when you look at games, that's too many minutes, and, and Frazier's probably a little tired later in the game. And Jermaine's had a couple great practices, so I feel confident, and I'm going to be playing him more uh, at Dayton. But the game isn't what it once was in the sense of exhaustion. And the reason for that is there's a timeout every four minutes. Plus, we have our timeouts right. to use. The opponent has their timeouts to use. There's three officials doing the games instead of two. So there's rarely do you see five consecutive trips up and down the floor without a whistle being blown. Right. Uh, you know, the timeouts are longer. The TV timeouts are longer. So you, a good conditioned athlete playing an entire game, it's not a killer in my opinion, depending on the flow of the game and who you're playing. Uh, it's a lot different, I think, when we go down and we play at VCU and you're playing against a team that's going to just chase you the entire game, then it becomes a little bit of an issue. But um, I do have to find ways to give him a little bit more of a blow. One of the things we'll do very often, you guys will see us leading into a timeout, there's a dead ball, we'll pull one of our guys, Chris or Frage, under a minute maybe, say, say there's like 8.40 on the clock. But we'll pull him, he can sit, through that 40 seconds of play, right. which is going to be two minutes. And he had the under eight And timeout. then the timeout, right. he can sit through that. So he's actually getting four minutes on the bench, you know, catching his breath. And that's what you have to do when you're, when you're a little thin at certain spots. But, uh, you know, I will be a better team the more I can play Jermaine. And he's aware of that. And I thought he's given us pretty good minutes. Brian Smith was a great story the other night. We talked to Coach Duke about him after the game. Eight rebounds in that game. Um, and I believe that was better than anybody on their team, anybody on Charlotte's team. Um, you know, what what can you say about his, his athleticism? Because he was a guard, and he was skying for some rebounds down low that, you know, Canty and Gaston will normally clean that up. And mm-hmm. he was just playing out of his mind on defense. Well, he needs to. And, you know, he's a tease, man. I tell him that all the time in a, in a half-kidding, half-serious way. I say, you know, Brian, and you seduce us with your play at different stretches in different ways. And you need to put that all together and respect, you know, the God-given ability you have. He can be an incredible defender, a great rebounder, and a great scorer. But there's times he floats and he disappears in the course of the game. Right. Uh, you know, I talked to Jeff Short about the same. They have to, guys like Jeff Short and Brandon Smith, uh, Brian Smith, they need to be in search of shots every time they're on the floor. How can I get a shot? How can I and become an expert on how to get them? And that's what we're trying to work with them on. They cannot go stretches without getting good looks at the basket because we're depending on them to score, and that's going to let the rest of their game blossom because they're natural scorers. But when you know, once again, you become a focal point. People know Brian Smith can go out and make five threes, but they put a big long wing defender on him. He denies him the ball. Well, if you stay standing in the corner, you're not going to get many touches. So you know, we have to find creative ways, and he has to be willing to move without the ball. And you've seen him get more back cuts and things like that. But, I mean, he's one of our strongest guys in the weight room. He's got a great vertical. He's a, you know, he's a physical specimen. He looks like he could be a running back on a football team. Well, you know, uh, the last guy I had like that, his name was Charles Jenkins, you know, and he's playing in the NBA. <laughs> so he's got, tough, uh, he's got a tough uh, game to follow there uh, tradition-wise. But I want people, and I expect these guys, and I talk to them about this when I recruit them, to fill up a box score. You know, the only thing I don't want to see are turnovers, and we're seeing too many of those. 
But everything else, I want players to fill up box scores and be basketball players. Don't just be a jump shooter. Don't just be a rebounder. Don't just be this. And as you mature, your role is going to evolve within this program, and hopefully you're going to become a complete player. Now, Coach, we have a couple of uh, emailer questions for you here. This one comes from Rory, and it says, Are you worried about Fordham's status in the Atlantic 10? No. I Well, in, um, I'd like to talk to Rory. I'm not sure what he means exactly by <laughs> status. Um, he also adds, look, Do you think the A-10 could survive if they lose Xavier, Butler, VCU, and Dayton? Yes. So he's curious about the conference here. Uh, well, I think our status in the, in the conference is fine. I think that um, – from what I hear, there's a good chance we're going to lose five teams. Uh, yeah. Charlotte, it, you know, I think, three. is leaving. Well, Charlotte's gone. Right. And Temple's gone. Right. And then St. Louis, you know, so I guess St. Louis, Xavier, uh, all of those schools probably, probably mentioned are all out there as far as merging with the Catholic Seven. Right. Those things are out of our control. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do about it, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, then there's talk of what team could come in and bring us back to 12 if they were to leave. It's not going to happen for next season. I believe if it does happen, it'll happen for year after next. Uh, and over time, we will see. I'm sure that the names of the teams will come out when they cut their deals with the TV. Uh, I believe it's going to be Fox is going to take it over now. Fox is taking over the Speed Channel, and Fox Network is going. Fox Sportsnet is going to take that league on and and have their rights. So the the dollars that are negotiated, I'm sure, will be dictated by, well, who are your other five mm-hmm. teams, you know, and what markets are they bringing to the table? So I think that's something we'll probably know more about in the spring. So I'm not worried about our status in the league. I think that we need to continue to push and uh, have the program grow because it's it's an arms race. And, you know, we can we can put in a certain dollar amount to say we're elevating our program. But if it's equal to what everyone else is putting in, it doesn't help our status in the sense of moving up the food chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Fordham was voted the worst job in the Atlantic 10. And uh, there's reasons for that. But the potential is still here. And for us to continue to move forward as a, as a team, as a university, uh, and that includes the alumni and everyone else who is so uh, supportive of it, that's what we need to do. We need to not take our eyes off the prize and understand how quickly we have to move what the adjustments are that we can make to take this program to the next level in, in, in a quicker fashion. And, uh, you know, we continue to grind and move in that direction. Now this uh, next question comes from Bill, Fordham College, class of 71. Coach Pecora, last week you said that uh, one of the recruits would have more of an immediate impact than the other two. Fans have been asking which one. Can you give any hints on that, a big, small forward wing? Yeah, uh, you don't have to name any names. No, I don't know if I can. Like I said, these <laughs> right. rules change hourly with the right. NCAA. I don't want to get jammed <laughs> up. Yeah, th- you know, there's a there's a big guy that we've recruited who's playing very well locally, and uh, you know, uh, my assistants went over and saw him just the other night, and they came back very impressed with his ability to play on the perimeter, and uh, and shoot the basketball left-handed, and uh, and and rebound the ball, block shots. So I think that uh, you can never tell, but coming off their performances so far this year. Uh, and and there be, there will be some minutes at that uh, at that position at the four spot on our team. All right, coach. And this will be our final question for you. It's again, it's another email or question. It comes from Michael. He says, "Do you think it's possible to be a winner playing in the Rose Hill Gym? Do you think it's time for a new gym? Is it getting hard to commit to get players to commit to Fordham with a gym like Rose Hill?" Uh, well, here's here's what we have. I thought you were going to ask me some questions about Teo. And yeah, everything. no, we're going to really have really that gonna, coming up right, right after tough this, ones. Coach. No, um, <laughs> here's what I think. I think the more games we can play in Rose Hill, Jim, the more games we're going to win. 
And that's got to be step one in this process. I mean, we look, you look through the Atlantic 10, and I, I did this research with my staff. You know, there are teams in this conference that played 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, a bunch with nine, home non-conference games. We played three. <laughs> okay? We've got to get ourselves into those numbers. And when we do that, Rose Hill Gym will be an incredible place to play, coach, and win. But I think that's step one in this process. The other thing that we have that other schools don't is we have Madison Square Garden in the Barclays Center. So the opportunity for us to play games there, uh, you know, I'm in the process now, and I have a, we, we might have an opportunity to play an ACC team home and away for the next four years, and those home games would be at either Barclays or the Garden uh, because we're not going to get those people to come into uh, Rose Hill Gym and play which we talked about. I think the days of Georgia Tech, St. John's coming in and playing in this building, teams are not going to do that. So we have the advantage of having those two tremendous arenas, and that's a great experience for our fans, for our students, uh, you know, for our alumni to go into the city or to Brooklyn and, and play in those venues. Now, down the line, uh, would it be wonderful if we had a you know, five, 6,000-seat arena on campus? Yeah. But I think that there's other things this university uh, wants to do first and needs. Uh, and uh, as we move forward, uh, hopefully I will be here to see us through the process of whatever other buildings we need to put up first, and then at some time a, a basketball arena, if that's what the, uh, the, the people here at Fordham think is necessary. And, 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 you know, and the thing is, it's not a basketball arena. It's a convocation center. It's going to be used for basketball 30 nights a year. Uh, but I think that will happen in time. But the first thing is let's get more games in Rose Hill because people don't want to come there and play. And as we've shown, we can compete with anybody in that building. Right. Coach, real quick before we let you go, yeah. uh, your thoughts on the uh, Manti Teo situation. Yeah, they grabbed me on the way in. Well, I think the big discussion you guys were having was, you know, what happened to uh, sports heroes. And I don't think there's a big difference. I think, you know, one of the things that's happened is we live in a 24-hour media cycle. And, uh, you know, Manti Teo uh, is a young guy. And uh, it sounds like a horrible, horrible scam that was played on him. I don't know all of the details. I haven't had a chance to follow it all. Right. But I know when I was probably a little bit younger than him, I had uh, imaginary girlfriends, but they were like Farrah Fawcett <laughs> and Cheryl Teagues. I'm showing my age here in the, the, the 70s. But uh, I just pray that, that the young guy isn't damaged for life this way, his reputation. Uh, and, and he seems to be a, a stand-up person uh, yeah. until this, this issue took place. But it's bizarre. But, guys, you know, think about every sports channel, every news channel on a 24-hour cycle, and they have to, they have to find things out and put right. things up. Years ago, you know, there were a lot of legendary stories about a lot of athletes that weren't the nicest people in the world. But, you know, it got down to numbers, you know. And I know that was a great debate a week or so ago with the, with the Hall of Fame, you know, with the Baseball Hall of Fame. A lot of guys got in there 40, 50 years ago because of their numbers, and no one cared what they were like socially and their personal lives were all about. Well, the world has changed, so uh, you know we have to change with it. Absolutely. Fordham men's head basketball coach Tom Pecora joining us here on One on One. Coach, as always, thanks for coming in, and uh, we'll see you at your next game. Right, we'll be thanks there. Thanks a lot, so Coach. Much. Appreciate it. All right. Have a nice weekend.